welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Now, today we're going to be talking about the real RFK Jr. with a guest who knows the real RFK Jr. better than anybody. And this is a really needed um, book and needed topic because um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has been um, maligned a lot. Uh, for some of the stances that he's taken. And I was looking at the Wikipedia write-up. Uh, you know, I, you can never tr trust what they say in Wikipedia. They have all kinds of things in my Wikipedia that aren't true. The bad things aren't true. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, it says, um, let's see, our Robert Francis Kennedy Jr., uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, he is known for promoting anti-vaccine misinformation and public health related conspiracy theories. And then it goes on from there. So, you know, RFK Jr. deserves to be known more uh, than, um, you know, the man who is an anti-vaxxer and promotes other conspiracy theories. And my guest today is Dick Russell, and he has written a book called The Real RFK Jr. Trials of a Truth Warrior. Now let me, um, let me give you his bio. Um, Dick Russell is an investigative journalist and the eclectic author of 15 books, and he's only 25, <laughs> 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 um, including three New York Times bestsellers. I'm just jealous. That's why I said that. Three New York Times bestsellers, co-authored with Jesse Ventura and Eye of the Whole, Eye of the Whale, named a best book of the year 2001 by three major newspapers. His book, The Man Who Knew Too Much, probing the forces behind the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, has been hailed as a masterpiece of historical reconstruction. The final two volumes of his biographical trilogy, The Life and Ideas of James Hillman, are being published in 2023. So you have another book coming out in 2023. Russell is also the author of Black Genius and the American Experience and the memoir, My Mysterious Son, A Life-Changing Passage Between Schizophrenia and Shamanism. He was a recipient of the Citizens Chevron Conservation Award for his environmental act activism. And he lives in Los Angeles. Um, and we're going to be talking about that book in the last third of the show, the last segment, the His Mysterious Son. Okay, let's talk about RFK Jr. First of all, what got you interested in writing this, um, the final authoritative, you know, the most authoritative text book on RFK Jr.? I mean, it was a, it was obviously a work that took a lot of time and energy and, and thinking and everything else. How did you, what made you do that? Well, you know, I've known Bobby Kennedy, as his friends call him, for more than 20 years. And we go back to working on environmental causes together. And when I was writing my book, Eye of the Whale, about the gray whales of Mexico that were being threatened by a 
industrial salt works that Mitsubishi and the Mexican government were going to build there in their, in their pristine birthing habitat. He was working on that as a lawyer for the Natural Resources Defense Council to stop it. And uh, I was writing this this book. I ended up tracking the gray whale migration all the way to Russia eventually. Huh. And and then, um, so he and I got to know each other then. And I had a lot of respect for his environmental work. He was an amazing lawyer, won all of these cases. And uh, we worked together. Actually, he, he wrote a, a, the introduction to a book I wrote on climate change called Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And then later it was called Climate in Crisis in Paperback about the big uh, moguls that were most responsible for climate change in the fossil fuel industry. And um, the reason I ended up writing the biography of him was not because he was running for president, because he wasn't when I started it, um, but because he'd been so maligned in the big media. And just as you say, you know, stamped as an anti-vaxxer, um, as a conspiracy theorist, and even crazy by some accounts. And I, I knew him very well, and I knew that this wasn't the case. And I I felt like there needed to be a biography that would both lay out where he came from, in a sense, you know, the, the difficulties he'd been through in his life, uh, the agony he, he suffered after his father, first his uncle, and then his father were assassinated, um, how he was a drug addict for a long time and overcame it. We can talk about that if you'd like today. And uh, and then became a, a terrific environmental lawyer and, a, and then a huge advocate for public health which, um, you know, he's not an anti-vaxxer per se. He is someone who has called for the testing of vaccines, any vaccine that's going to be used, especially in our children, but uh, against a placebo uh, in preclinical trials. And that's what he said right from the very beginning. And we can also talk today, if you'd like, about how he, he got made this switch from not just being an environmental advocate, but considering the larger environment of public health. So, that's why I set about to write it, and um, and now, of course, he's running for president of the United States. So I'm hoping that a lot of people will pick up the real RFK Jr., <laughs> obviously, yes. and understand, you know, who this guy is in a way that they're not getting from the New York Times and the Washington Post and some of these uh, big media outlets. You know, one of the things that struck me, um, he has been such a maverick in so many different things, and he has been so maligned, not just with anti-vaxxing, but a lot of different topics that he took up they weren't necessarily the popular uh way to go on these things and yet you know he he did have the good of the country the good of the people um involved in the particular issue or the good of the animals involved um so you know it struck me today that his bravery his courage because um because here he he was a young boy when um jfk was assassinated, and then um, you know his his uncle, and then his father. Um, let's see, a few years later, he was let's see, he was nine years old when his uncle JFK was assassinated, and then he was fourteen when his father was assassinated. And even though he had those traumas at such a young age, he has put himself in the line of fire, so to speak. Yeah, you know he absolutely has, and I think. That courage that you speak about comes from the fact that he's a guy who, well, first of all, after his father was assassinated, he was a young, you know, he was a teenager. He was a rebel. He was in terrible anguish over this. And, and he'd been very, very close to his father and had uh, nine siblings. So, you know, it was a, it was a family that was uh, devoted to one another. And, and then it was just torn apart. And so he took off. I, I describe in The Real RFK Jr. how he just 
spent a summer, he just left, you know, took off from the comfortable life he'd known as a as a boy in Hyannisport and and went out to go, made his way across the country, um, ended up living with hobos on freight trains, riding the freights, um, learning about people not never identifying himself as a Kennedy, just he was this young, long-haired kid in 1968. And uh, then he had a mentor uh, named Lem Billings, who had been his, his uncle's very close friend all the way back to when they were in high school together in the 1930s. And Lem took Bobby under his wing and, and really, I think, got him through this period. He, he took him to Latin America when he was about 16, I think. And Bobby lived for two summers on a ranch there in Colombia, getting to know the lives of indigenous peoples, you know, who had nothing. And and uh, so these were really vital experiences for him in terms of shaping who he became later. He's always been a, a, a huge advocate for, uh, for the rights of indigenous people and a number of his environmental causes. And, and uh, and you know, get today getting led out of our, our kids' bodies in, in places like Watts. Um, so, but he went through a lot himself, and he he became an addict. Uh, he was admittedly a heroin addict for 14 years, a uh, drinker as well. Um, finally, you know, just about lost his life, um, as it happened to you know one of his other one of his brothers uh, who had overdosed and. Went into rehab in 1983 um, and wanted to talk about that, you know, in the book, uh, because it was transformative for him. Um, he became a, a leading member of Alcoholics Anonymous and still is to this day, uh, helping so many people who've been to the bottom as he has. So, um, you know, that kind of uh, concern, compassion for people and um, the fact that he's been down there, he knows what it's like, you know, to lose everything uh, is, is, what, is what makes him, I think, uh, mm -hmm. a leader for our times. Yes. And to see how he, you know, how he rose up from all of that 14 years. Well, um, you know, you mentioned uh, about his running for president and, um, you know, I was, today I was thinking about how. Well, I'm sure, you know, you've been watching the news and it's it's looking worse and worse for the Biden family, um, you know, with uh, it seems like um, Hunter's uh, computer, Hunter's laptop is a real treasure trove no. of things that are leading, um, you know, to so many things that are that are not only involving Hunter, but his father more and more. And um, and, you know, especially as more whistleblowers are coming forward, you know, they're they're sort of um, encouraging each other in a way. If, if he did it, you know, I'll have the courage to do it and come forward and tell what I know, that kind of thing. Um, so what do you think or maybe you've already I presume you actually have already been speaking with Bobby about what that, you know, how does the do you think that Biden's um, chances I mean, I've been talking about Biden since he ran in 2020 about how um, about how he has encroaching dementia. I mean, he should not be running. Uh, he shouldn't be president right now, really. But um, but with all these new things that are coming out day, each day, something else. Um, so is Bobby thinking that he is his chances are looking better or how, how do you think that's playing out? Well, you know, as he said from the beginning, and he, he announced this, and and he had already told me uh, about a month or two before that that he was going to do it, and 
And um, I know he'd considered running for office before. He's never held an office. Uh, he was offered, you know, possibilities to run for governor or senator in New York. And but he was raising six kids and had a lot of, you know, family issues he was dealing with. And and uh, the kids came out great. But, you know, now they're grown. So that may be a factor. But I think the biggest factor is that he's so, oh, you know, desperately concerned about the future of American democracy and the divide that exists in this country between so-called right and left, you know, where nobody can talk to each other anymore. Uh, and, and, and no time since the Civil War have we been this divided. So that's the campaign slogan, so to speak, is heal the divide. That's what we've got to do. And mm -hmm. I think he's uniquely qualified to do that because in so many of his environmental uh, crusades, as it were, he he's, he's had to reach across the aisle. He's, he's worked with, you know, upstate farmers in New York who thought he was uh, just this rich guy who didn't give a damn about them and forging the watershed agreement in New York City to protect the water supply for the whole state. Uh, he's worked with commercial fishermen and farmers in North Carolina whose waterways were being uh, poisoned, um, got fracking outlawed in New York by, again, working with a Republican businessman. Um, same thing with the public health issue. Um, you know, they stopped a mandate, uh, a mandate plan, and and I think I guess it was Oregon. Uh, he and a, a Republican businessman named J.B. Handley got together and did that. So, hmm. all by way of saying that he's he's not your traditional tip or typical Democrat, uh, because he's he's ready and willing to work with independents, with Republicans, and he's willing to talk to whoever you know will talk with him. Which interestingly, as we've seen. You know, last week in particular at that unbelievable congressional hearing where these two I watched that isn't wasn't it amazing uh, where they were where they were saying that he was anti-semitic yeah which is again a complete distortion of what he said that got him in that kind of hot water so to speak but these two con uh, women congressmen were just you know trying to censor him at the censorship hearing mm -hmm. he was trying to talk about the fact that you know this is what's going on in this country and we got to stop it because What's our democracy all about if you can't speak openly and you can't have debate? And and uh, damn, and damn, then, they were just trying to shut him down, you know? Yes, uh, he made that comment. How, how could you write at a censorship? We're talking about censorship and you're you're showing it. You know, I must say that I, I read an article about that, you know, what he um, allegedly said and all that about how the Chinese um, were targeting uh, they're targeting bioweapons. That part is true. And um, but he was saying about COVID that they spared, they targeted COVID that they spare to spare Ashkenazi Jews and um, Chinese. Obviously, it didn't work in terms of sparing the Chinese. And I don't know that it worked to spare the Ashkenazi Jews. I mean, I don't think but it came across it. did. I actually said on one of my shows, you know, I was disappointed that he would say something like that, but apparently things were taken out of context. Is that what he yeah. was trying? Yeah, it was really uh, misconstrued. I mean, I, I agree that Bobby sometimes has to be more careful the way he phrases things. This was at a dinner that was off the record, so to speak, and there were a couple New York Post, which they hate him anyway, reporters there, uh, you know, who, who then taped this, videotaped his remarks. And it's not that he didn't say those things, but he didn't mean it in that sense. I mean, he's definitely not anti-Semitic, and he wasn't saying that China, you know, the Ashkenazi Jews were the ones that maybe created COVID, so they would be spared. I mean, that's absurd. But you know, he it did get it, it did get uh, become a huge uh, cause celeb as a number of things he said 
have, um, because he did the thing that, that's ignored in that is that yes, there are such things as ethnic bioweapons. Yes. And, yes. and these have been worked on by China and you know by the U.S. and, and to know that how we could defend against it perhaps. Uh, they say that some of these biolabs in Ukraine were working on these kind of things. I mean, it's a lot. It's kind of murky, but it's definitely true that there are yes. nefarious people out there using genetics, you know, as a way to target maybe in the future uh, African Americans or whoever. Right. Uh, so he's not wrong about that, and it's something he's right to warn us about, just as he's been warning about the dangers of AI. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I absolutely, I know that I do a podcast called the terrorist therapist show. And um, I did a, uh, an episode on how the Chinese um, is getting are getting uh, uh, our DNA from um, things like, um, what do you, you know, the things people send in their sample to find out their relatives and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are targeting, they are trying, trying to target uh, you know, separate out certain genetics and target certain ethnic groups and so on. But I mean, I don't know that it's gotten that far that they can do it yet, number one. And I don't know why they would want to spare Ashkenazi Jews. <laughs> As a Jew myself, the best I could come up with, they wanted to keep people alive who would eat Chinese food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, that's, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, exactly. So, and, and we, we do now know pretty much, well, not a certainty, I guess, but that this, that COVID-19 uh, very likely emerged from the Wuhan Institute of Virology Laboratory, where they were doing gain of function research, uh, altering viruses like COVID. Uh, and they were funded uh, by the National Institute of Health for some yes. of this work. Yes. Dr. Anthony Fauci himself uh, approved it. Yes. So. There's been a big cover-up about that, and I'm not saying or implying that there was an intentional release that happened because of any of either side, but it's something that you know was definitely squelched right from the beginning, and certainly did not lead to greater trust in government. Yes. Well, we're going to um, need to take a break now. Um, we're talking. My guest today is Dick Russell. His book is called "The Real RFK Jr.: Trials of a Truth Warrior." And so we will continue with that when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and stay tuned. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman, your uh, psychiatrist host. We're talking today about the real RFK Jr. with an underline under real, not what you're, uh, you may have read or heard or you know, um, he is not, even though he's a Democrat, he is not being treated kindly by all the mainstream media. In fact, they find things um, that he has been courageous in working on and sort of give a twisted view of it. Um, okay, so let's see. We're, we're going to talk about, um, in this next segment, we'll talk about um, uh, Bobby Kennedy's addiction. Um how he overcame it, the whole vax controversy. And by the way, I am not vaxxed. I don't plan on getting vaxxed. I didn't let my daughter get vaxxed. I am very much, and we, you know, we could talk, the proof is in the pudding because we're seeing people drop dead every day. There is somebody new, somebody relatively young who didn't have any health problems who all of a sudden, you know, have a blood clot or something and they drop dead. Why don't we go there? Since I happened to mention that, what what um what is you know how is um Bobby Kennedy you know what is he trying to do now that it's become even more obvious? People criticized him and called him an anti-vaxer and all that. Um, what is he is he planning to do something more to uh, bring it to the forefront that all these people are dying? You know they should have listened to him, kind of thing. Well, I think that they do that a lot on on the the Children's Health Defense website, which is an organization that that he founded, and uh, is not formally connected with at the moment because he's running for office. But uh, they've run run a lot of pieces about you know myocarditis affecting young people, this, this sudden heart condition that would overcome them, um, how you know elderly people uh, could have perhaps been saved or, or at least helped by alternative therapeutic treatments like ivermectin and hydrochloroquine, which I think there's a lot of evidence that's been suppressed uh, about those things during the the race, you know, Operation Warp Speed race for the vaccines. And, and uh, you know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer either, but uh, I, I didn't get the initial vaccine and then, and then I've uh, not taken the boosters. Uh, I don't think they're 
really necessary. And I think it's this a lot of this is a big money deal by the pharmaceutical industry to to keep making their their fortunes. I mean, yes. they, they made billions during this this pandemic. And and Bobby's big thing is is that the, the chronic health situation in this country where chronic diseases has have have escalated. From I think it was 14 percent, you know, when Dr. Fauci came in, for example, 1984 at NIH, up to 50, more than 50 percent of the American population now have chronic diseases. And, and this is a Centers for Disease Control uh, figure, I believe. So he has said if, if he if he becomes president, he's going to take that on and he's going to take on what he calls agency capture, which is, you know, the Food and Drug Administration and the NIH and the CDC being are basically co-opted by uh, the very companies you know that they're supposed to be regulating uh-huh. uh, in the pharmaceutical industry and and he's he's point one thing he, oh, he also said he would do would be to uh, ban uh, advertising by big pharma on TV again yes because I, I think it was in the mid 1980s the Federal Communications Commission lifted this uh, ban on on that being allowed to happen uh, there's only two countries that do it New Zealand and the US by the way Huh. And now, of course, you know, every night on the TV news is what you're seeing is all these pharma ads. And so can we expect the big TV news stations that are getting all this revenue that way uh, to really uh, look into things like like Bobby's been raising? I don't yeah. think so. So and it's a huge thing issue. autism, um, you know, he was so he was one of the first ones to talk about um the mercury and the vaccine and so on. And and I think there is something to that. I have worked on. Uh, with families with autistic children. I also was worked as an expert witness on a case um, of a child who with autism who was fine. I mean, that's the story is that they're fine until they get the vaccine um, or a bunch of vaccines together. You, you know, I'm not talking about COVID right now. I'm talking about the, the childhood vaccines. Um, uh, and so I do believe that there, and I saw the movie. I don't remember the name of it right now, but wasn't he involved in that movie? Um, Price Announce. Trace oh, amounts. What was called it? Trace amounts, I think, or maybe a vaxxed, unvaxxed. But anyway, there, yes. there was a couple documentaries. Yes, yes. Um, and so, so I think there is something to that, and and um, uh, you know, it really, it really, and and I was reading about how um, he was he as a lawyer, he got a, an injunction against what Governor Newsom wanted where doctors were going to be punished or or their license taken yeah. away or something if yes. they told you know that was really terrifying to me quite frankly i didn't know that um about the injunction uh, until now um because i mean not that i as a psychiatrist i don't give vaccines but i certainly have done a lot in the media all through covid telling people um well i saying I mean, I originally I was saying telling people just don't get the vaccine. Then I was kind of changing it to, well, if it's an adult, you can make your own choice. But certainly children should not get the, the COVID vaccine. So, so then I was thinking, is he going to be coming after me? It's not like I told a patient who asked me for a vaccine, you know, that I wouldn't give it to them. But I was very concerned about that whole thing. So I was really glad to hear that he um, got that through. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was very important. I mean, because, again, it's about... Can you have a can you have a dissenting voice in this country anymore? Um, um, some doctors didn't feel it was the right thing, and your doctor is going to be basically censored, blackballed because of this. I mean, 
That's crazy to me. And, and uh, you know, I mean, today we have a situation, and this is a figure, again, from the Centers for Disease Control, one in 34 kids uh, has, has been diagnosed with autism. And it, that was like, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was one in 10,000. I mean, so something has gone wrong. Now, there are environmental causes or factors involved in this. And, and uh, you know, he, I think that the reason Bobby Kennedy got into it in the first place was the, all these mothers coming up to him at his talks about mercury coming out of power plants and, and affecting our environment and the people who live near those plants. And, and they said, hey, you know, would you please look at, at uh, what's going on with the vaccines that have this preservative, or at least did until 2001, uh, thimerosal, which contains mercury in it. And, and suddenly our kids are getting these neurodevelopmental disorders. So he found out there was a big cover-up about it. He wrote a huge piece. Immediately there was a backlash in the media, you know, uh, saying that, that this was wrong and it goes on to this day. I mean, I'm not here to say, I'm not an expert on it. I'm not going to say that, you know, uh, mercury in, in vaccines causes this epidemic, or pen, but it is an epidemic. And we should be looking at why. And right. what's, why are our kids being affected like this? And what and and let's let's put a stop to it somehow. Let's make sure that you know if it's the glyphosate and Monsanto's you know Roundup that's that's harming people, which it is, and which he had a big lawsuit against and won. Uh, maybe that maybe that has something to do with it. But let's find out. Let's yeah. get to the bottom of it. And that has not happened. Right, right, absolutely. And yes, you know, as a physician, the idea that a politician or that um, a social media, you know would decide that they know best uh, so that you can't put anything on there about uh, hydroxychloroquine or, um, you know, any of these uh, other ivermectin alternatives, just, you know, you'd be banned from whatever site that was. Um, You know, it's just outrageous. Who gave them the knowledge to be able to uh, make that decision? Right. now let's talk about um, you. I'm sure it's a very it's inspirational story. So um, tell us about how he, how Bobby Kennedy got from 14 years of um, of addiction to running for president. <laughs> yeah, well, it it uh, it changed back in in 1983. He, he when he and he he was a very high functioning addict as he put it you know he, he did a lot of things and he was he even got a law degree in the course of that but uh, at the same time he had a major drug problem and, and he once wrote something that I'll, I'll share with your audience here he, he wrote that he said addiction baffles me i was hard-headed and proud of my ability to bear pain and of my own iron willpower in other areas of my life but my willpower was bafflingly ineffective against the compulsion of my drug addiction the promises to quit that I made sincerely and earnestly would soon stop binding me, and the intervals between promise and drugs got shorter over time, dropping from months to weeks to days and finally hours. I had to continuously lower my standards and my aspirations to keep pace with my declining conduct. Addiction is a disease of isolation, and although I was often surrounded by people, my world over time grew smaller and smaller. Hmm. So I thought that was a pretty, you know, poignant and, and true reflection of what he was going through. And uh, when it finally broke in September of 19, September 11th, actually, 1983, uh, he suffered an almost fatal overdose on an airplane and went into rehab. And then his life started to change and become much more sp- spiritual, maybe not in a conventional sense, but he discovered the, the psychologist, uh, 
C.G. Jung, and and uh, he said it. You know, it, it, I'll read another quote from him. That this is from an interview I did when we talked about this at length, and he wanted me to write about it in the real RFK Jr. because, you know, I think uh, I would add that somebody like him who's been through this could be a, a, a really a help to so many families that are now watching, you know, thousands yes. of kids dying from fentanyl overdoses. Yes, yes. He's, he, he's been there, you know, and and he said at, at that point when he discovered Jung, he said, God had gotten a great distance from me. My dilemma was a very common one. How do you start believing in something you can't see or smell or taste or hear or acquire with your senses? And so Jung had said, fake it till you make it. You act as if you believe in God. And I started acting as if there was a God watching me all the time. I started breaking my day down into about 40 different little choices. And each one took on a spiritual dimension. Hmm. Simple things. Do I get up in the morning when my alarm goes off? Or do I sleep through or stay in bed with indolent thoughts? Do I hang up the towels, brush my teeth, make my bed as soon as I get up? Do I put water in the ice tray before I put it back in the freezer? Things like this. You know, that he, he simple things that... that uh, that he was having to make himself, you know, do. And, um, you know, he said that, that, that he said one of the features of all addictions is this illusion you can fix whatever pain is inside of you and fill whatever empty spaces are in your soul with things that are outside of you. There was a long time in my life when I reacted to everything that way. But he said the writer, he quoted the writer Susan Sontag, who said that addicts have a unique opportunity for redemption because... They've lived in hell. Mm. And, you know, he went through this and and uh, discovered a lot of things about himself. I'm not going to read more of this. It's, it's a lot of it's in the book and people, I think, find it, you know, very interesting. And he said, um, you know, he, he quoted from the, the Bible, from Isaiah. He said it was a line that really helped him. Be still that know that be still and know that I am God. In other words, God is in charge. I didn't have to fix what was wrong with something outside of me to expose the wrong inside of me. So I learned to be still and to listen to other people, to the universe, and not react to everything. It says a lot of times in the Bible, it came to pass, which means whatever you're feeling right now is going to pass. Mm. And many times it just means sitting on the train patiently and waiting for the scenery to change. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, he's very eloquent about it. All right. Well, then let's get back to the question um, that I had asked at the beginning about what he says nowadays uh, with things that are the disasters that are happening uh, with Biden. What does he say nowadays? How does he think he's going to um, get through the the uh, Democrats just um, knee jerk reaction to to nominate uh, Biden again? Well, I think he's just going to keep at it. You know, he, he said he's not going to say bad things publicly about Joe Biden. I mean, he, he he's known Biden for years. Um, they've liked each other. He respects what the man has done in politics. But at the same time, he disagrees with him now on many, many important issues from, you know, the immigration policy to the war in Ukraine and how we've really got to come to some kind of peace there that just like his uncle and his father did with Nikita Khrushchev uh, back in the Cuban Missile Crisis days. We got to do that with Vladimir Putin, even if he's not a good guy, which Bobby Kennedy knows he's not. Um, so, you know, I I think he knows it's an uphill fight, but already 
Uh, there was a poll recently taken by The Economist magazine and one of the big YouTube channels uh, that showed he has a 50, no, 47% favorability rating, uh, higher than either Biden or former President Trump huh. among people. Now, that's not a poll saying that he would get the Democratic nomination. I think he's there. He's around 20%. That's been the highest uh, in terms of uh, running against Biden per se. But uh, he's reaching a lot of people with a very honest message. And I think that that's uh, people don't trust politicians anymore. And, and you know, I think that he's somebody that, that inspires in that in that way, because, you know, what has he got to lose? I mean, he's out there. He's been out there fighting for the people and and for the middle class of this country. He talks a lot about uh, the 500 billionaires that were created during the pandemic in the midst of you know, locking down a middle class where most of these many of these buildings of their offices have never reopened. And mm-hmm. he would change that that uh, that situation. I mean, at least that's what he would devote himself to. And I think on both sides of the aisle and among independents, uh, no matter what the big media says about him, people are responding to that message. Well, you know, I think, um, oh, we have two minutes to break. I think um, there is something similar, uh, maybe not about all their ideas, you know, um, uh, and I'm sure not on all their ideas uh, of how they would do things, but there is something similar in Bobby Kennedy to Trump. um, And that is that I think people can see their uh, authentic devotion to America. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt about it with Bobby. I mean, he, he differs from uh, from Trump and, you know, many, many things. And uh, um, he's, he, he's known Trump, you know, in the past. And Trump even offered him a, at one point a job back in 2016 when he got elected to chair a vaccine safety committee. Mm. And it looked like that was going to happen. Bobby accepted the position. And then at least what I believe happened uh, is that Pfizer, the big pharmaceutical company, stepped in and and gave Trump a million dollars for his inauguration, and uh, let and keep let's keep Bobby Kennedy out of this mix. So <laughs> um, that I'm afraid is what happened, and uh, sort of emblematic of the difference between the two of them. Well, well I don't know, certainly, but um, all right. Well, we have to take a break in any case. Uh, my guest is Dick Russell. His book is The Real RFK Jr. Trials of a Truth Warrior, and um, We will take a break and we will be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We've been talking today with my guest, Dick Russell, about his book that just came out called The Real RFK Jr., Trials of a Truth Warrior. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, he is a rather prolific author. And um, one of the books that he's also written is called My My Mysterious Son, A Life-Changing Passage Between Schizophrenia and Shamanism. And of course, that um, caught my eye. And I'd like you to tell us about that. Yeah, well, I guess I should start with my my own experience with the big pharmaceutical industry. because, you know, when my son had a, a breakdown back at the classic age of 17, and uh, his mother and I had no idea what was happening or what to do. Of course, all the doctors we saw and when he was hospitalized for uh, for this during this breakdown said, oh, you got to put him on all these medications, which we did. And um, I, I found out a few years later when he was still um, uh, on one of them called Zyprexa, which was put out by Eli Lilly. Uh, and there was never a warning label on it, you know, that this this medication is may be helpful with the, the symptoms of, of uh, bipolar illness or schizophrenia, but it's going to put a lot of weight on you. By this point, my son had ballooned up. I mean, he'd always been a young, handsome guy and and uh, put on close to 100 pounds. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a terrible thing to realize. And and I uh, there was a class action suit that I found out about uh, that I got him into against uh, Zyprexa. And Eli Lilly, and, and he ended up getting some some uh, some recompense for this um, situation. But I finally got to a point uh, after, and we went through at hell for years uh, trying to figure out what could be done. And uh, my son was at the same time brilliant in terms of he was an amazing writer, uh, he an artist, uh, and he could he was in tune with other dimensions, other realms that um, were was a quite an amazing thing to me, who was not in the same way. And so I began to look into um, adjuncts, at least, to medication and discovered a man. Uh, I'd actually heard about him through James Hillman, a depth psychologist who had studied with Jung, actually, in Switzerland, whose biography I, I was writing. And uh, uh, that it's a whole other story. But James Hillman had told me about a man named Maladoma Somme, who was a shaman from West Africa, who'd come to this country and gotten involved with the uh, the mythopoetic men's movement that James Hillman was also a teacher at. So 
long story short, I ended up uh, going to see Maladoma, and uh, he put me through a divination, and then he eventually met my son. I took my son to Jamaica to be with him, and uh, we began. He began exploring with us, with me, uh, the ancestral realm. He told me that you know because he's my son's biracial, okay, so his mother's African American and I'm Caucasian, and. So he said, you know, your ancestors, they don't know who he is and they don't understand what's going on, you know, and you've got to do this series of rituals to try to connect with them. Sure. Okay, so I, I did that uh, for a period of time. And um, it was uh, eventually he said, you know, uh, that it's in, I think it's important that you and your son and his mother go come to Burkina Faso in West Africa and spend some time there with a healer. And so I went. And uh, we went in 2016, and it was an extraordinary time. We we spent a month there, uh, going through this series of uh, we we had this. <laughs> people may think this is crazy, but we had the, this big pot of medicine that was prescribed for us. It was herbs, all, all kinds of, not psychedelics or anything, but you know herbal treatments. And and uh, so we each day would would drink from that. We would uh, bathe with this water. And uh, we also went through uh, uh, some uh, animal rituals where uh, animals were actually, I mean, we weren't the only ones there. There was other people on this voyage. Animals were sacrificed on our behalf. And uh, it was amazing. And, and what happened in the course of it was that I think one of, part of it was that we were really doing this together, the three of us as a family, um, taking this, you know, really unique kind of wild step into the unknown together and uh, and my son was able to his name is Franklin he was able to go off uh, the medication he was on little by little with his doctor's permission over the next year now finally his doctor took him off all of it which was not a good idea and he had a another break but since then um, he's doing great uh, he's in his 40s now he lives with his mom in in Baltimore and uh, you know he does some amazing art uh, he has a stu studio there where he does these unusual sculptures. And and um, so I believe that, you know, we were helped tremendously as a family by a very, very alternative um, treatment. And I wrote the book because I wanted people to know that this was possible, that, uh, you know, I, I, I laid it all out in, in what I wrote. I mean, the, the pain we went through, the, the, the very difficult years we spent. Um, years when he even denied I was his father. I mean, some really oh. tough stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I think ultimately we, we stuck with it, the three of us, and uh, and it paid off in a way that uh, I'm very grateful for who Franklin has become as a man and also uh, for his opening me to a spiritual dimension uh, that otherwise I would never have approached. And you know, he's he's in tune to other realities. And interestingly, they've often said that shamans in, in the African tradition have been compared to what we do, uh, diagnose as schizophrenia in this country. Uh, and so there's something going on here that, you know, their ability to tune into these other yeah. realms is, is happening. Huh. Um, was he, when this, when he first... Uh... When he had his first schizophrenic break, was he in Los Angeles or in? Um, no, or, he was in he was in Boston. Oh, okay. There was in, he was going to school in Boston at the time and and doing you know really well and as I think probably thousands of people have experienced this this 
affliction came out of seemingly nowhere. And, uh, and suddenly we were in a whole nother, you know, very, very traumatic period that had never, uh, we'd never experienced before. So did, um, during the time, during this month, did you also, um, because you called the book is, uh, between schizophrenia and shamanism. So besides the, the drink, the, the pot that was created for you, did you, um, uh, did they do a shamanic, did they call spirits? Did the shamans do a dance and all that and call spirits? Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they did a dance per se, but I was assigned rituals to do, including a remarkable ritual that I write about in the book. It was very, very difficult for me. Um, that, that Melodoma said I had to do, which was, people may think this is really out there, but, and I can't tell the whole story, we don't have time, but, but um, he said that I had to somehow, that, that in my ancestry, I, that between my ancestry and Franklin's mother's, that I had to bridge this gap, a racial gap, really, you mm -hmm. know, and he, and, and he said I had to somehow find a slave shackle from that era and take it to the Middle Passage on the East Coast and throw it into the sea. Hmm. Now, that's definitely shamanic tuning into something. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I did. Uh, I, I I explained how what happened to me in the course of that, which was one of the most profound experiences of my life in confront in confronting, ultimately after that even, uh, confronting I guess you'd say a, a slaveholding ancestor in my heritage. Hmm. And and uh, so. It's been quite a journey, to say the least. Huh, that's fascinating. Um, yes, as I was starting to tell you off the air, um, at, at the Millennium, I went to um, to Peru, to the Amazon, and had a two-week seance with uh, four shamans. And we did have um, a pot also. They were brewing the pot. I remember the first night that we got there, and they were out in the darkness, um, you know, in the jungle, it's, um, it's stirring different leaves and stuff in a pot and including ayahuasca. And um, it was like, it seemed like at first, like these are four witches. I'm going to be drinking this, <laughs> this brew. What? Um, and, and I had my daughter with me and, um, uh, you know, you, you sort of have to, there's, you have to get over your resistance to, um, to what's happening, you know, and, and like have uh, a leap of faith that perhaps something is going to work. And the idea there was that you were supposed to, and, and of course it was special, you know, we did this for the millennium and everything because, you know, changing what's going to be happening with the world. Um, but uh, it does give you, you, you know, you see all these different uh, visions and so on, and it does connect you. Um, we, during the day, we had different seances throughout these two weeks. And um, during the day we would go through the uh, native villages and um, the person who was running this would invite some of the people to the, to our uh, camp or whatever, um, Rancho, Ranchita, it was called, uh, a Ranchita. Um, and they would invite, he would invite them to come. And um, during these, these, seances where they would call the idea was they would be calling spirits you would tell them what it was that you were trying to work out in your life and they would call spirits from these other realms to um to try to help you work these things out 
And I remember um, one of the times, you know, if, oh, and it's in pitch darkness. And so if you had to go to the outhouse, you had to raise your hand and hope that somebody who worked there saw you and they would bring you to the outhouse. Okay, so um, so I did that uh, a couple of times. And um, and when I was walking to the exit, to, you know, the open door of this um, big room, um, I, I was saying to people, excuse me, excuse me. And so the next day when the leader of this uh, ranchita, this program, um, yeah, were asking us, there were a few other people there too, asking us to tell him what it was like, what the experience was like. Um, I mentioned something about how, you know, I'm surprised there were a lot of people who came from these, uh, these native villages to the seance. And huh. it, it turned out, nope, nope, there weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Things, I was, invisible I was, yes, I was seeing them and, and touching them like, you know, I kept saying, excuse me, you know, as, because they were sitting on the floor or so I thought. And um, so, yeah, it's very powerful stuff. Um, it's really interesting. So I'll, I'll repeat the name of that book again, too. My Mysterious Son, A Life-Changing Passage Between Schizophrenia and Shamanism. I just want to say we, we're, we don't have that much time left, but I do want to say um that i i am i am outraged disgusted disappointment disappointed um with psychiatrists in our country um ever since they became beholden to um well to drug companies but also to to insurance which i know you kind of need insurance to pay you for your time and all of that but um psychiatrists in america today have turned into pill pushers they mm -hmm. are not what you're the way i was trained was yes, you know, you do need medication for certain um, illnesses, including schizophrenia, but um, you don't give anybody medication without having them in psychotherapy. It's the therapy that gets the that gets to the bottom of the illness and um, understands the symbolism. It's not really gib gibberish. People think that schizophrenics talk gibberish, but it's not gibberish. It, there's actually an unconscious reason for all of the things that they're saying. You just have to have the time to spend to you know figure it all out. Exactly. So, um, so I'm not surprised that. Um, I mean, even though that was, let's see, he was, you said he was 17 and now he's 40, but so 23 years ago. Um, but I, I don't know how much it was in that direction or if, what your experience was, but nowadays, and people, and, and so psychiatrists now only see people uh, like once a month, if you're lucky, and for just to ask about your symptoms and and and, and then add one medication onto the other because they, people don't get better, you know, because they're not having therapy. Right. Um, so they just, then when the person comes back, they, the psychiatrist says, oh, okay, well, then I'll give you another minute. I'll add something to it. And it just yeah. gets worse and worse and worse. Beans on itself. Yeah, exactly. And, they, you know, they used to have, uh, it was a John Weir Perry. He's a very interesting man. I never knew him. But he he uh, created these these groups in, uh, I think it was in San Francisco, you know, where they were, it was it was like everybody come together and talk and talk about their, their wild thoughts and everything. And But there was a, a community, you know, and, and instead of being so isolated and just, you know, keep uh, and deadened down with uh, because of some of these medications, they really, you know, they, they dumb you down. They, you suddenly you don't have the visions that you were having before. So, so no wonder so many people go off them because they're seeing some amazing things. And yes, yes. Very different than us, many of us. But... <laughs> yes, actually, it's it's an art. It's a it's an opportunity. Yeah. Um <laughs> Okay, well, unfortunately, our time is up. 
But I want to repeat um, again. First of all, I want to thank you very much, Dick Russell. This was a real pleasure. Second of all, I want to repeat the name of your latest book so that people can go out and get it. And I think it's a good idea because Biden is going down, folks. And it's about time. Um, the book is called The Real RFK Jr. Trials of a Truth Warrior. And the other book that we were just talking about was My Mysterious Son, A Life-Changing Passage Between Schizophrenia and Shamanism. So again, thank you very much for being on Dr. Carol's Couch. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.